0: Picture this. You finished your first book and nailed it. The plot, the characters, all the twists and turns. This one's a winner, and all you need is the right cover. If you've got my art skills, this is the part where panic usually sets in. Enter the cover villain. Hero to writers everywhere. Founded by noted author Remy Flagg, Cover Villain focuses on composite image covers for science fiction and fantasy writers. Give them the details and and they'll craft a cover using popular trends that everyone will want to see. But wait, you say, I've got ideas of my own. No problem, as Cover Villain loves a good collaboration. As they say, our goal is to put a little villain in every cover we make. Want to know more? Then head to CoverVillain.com and follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Welcome back to Citywide Blackout, your home for music, movies, and more. I am your host, Max Bowen. Well, in this episode, folks, we are diving into a brand new comic series available exclusively through Comixology Originals. It's called Astonishing Times and I am loving it. We're two issues in, three more to go, and I am so excited about what comes next. Now because the comic was just so amazing, I really, really want to have the folks behind it on the show. So for this episode, I'm sitting down with co-writer and co-creator Frank Barbary to talk. All about the world of astonishing times. We look at the character of Noah Sands, who lives in a world where superheroes have become almost like the background. You know, they're just so commonplace that everyone just sort of takes them for granted. But for him, it's a world of amazement. He finds himself right in the middle of a murder mystery in the superhero community. This is going to be an amazing story. We are talking about a brand new comic, Astonishing Times, available only on Comixology Originals. I am absolutely loving this title, and joining me is the co-creator and co-writer, Frank Barberi. Frank, welcome to The Showman. It is great to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute
0: pleasure. All right. Now, this title, I gotta say... Has a very unique view on the superhero experience. Um, it's it is set in in uh, the current time. Superheroes are very commonplace, and they become almost like part of the like part of uh, the landscape. Give us a quick like walk as to the story of Astonishing Times.
1: So, Astonishing Times is a uh, creator-owned superhero book. It's uh, created by myself, my co-writer and co-creator Eris Kanonis. Our uh, artistic collaborators, Ruri Coleman, uh, Lauren Affey on uh, pencils and inks and colors. Also with lettering by uh, Taylor Esposito and book design by Dylan Todd. A lot of of people I've worked with a lot, which I'm very happy with. Uh, So we were able to kind of handpick this team and put it together. So that means a lot to me. But uh, it is a creator-owned superhero uh, universe and title. So it's something that we've all come up with ourselves and really... I'm going to go into a little bit of the book's origin as well as what it's about. But uh, as a creator, especially in creator owned comics, like there's just such a dearth of superhero stuff, like so, so much. I I never really want to make original superhero stuff, but uh, when I met Eris, he, this is actually his first comic and he is the host of variant, which is a YouTube channel about superheroes and all things comics. And I was I like him a lot as a person. I want to kind of shepherd him in and work on something. And his YouTube channel is a huge platform as well. So I was like, you know what? I'll make an exception, but we have to find an in. So really something I've wanted to do for a long time, uh, twofold as one, a little bit more of a unique take on superheroes, uh, to bring in a character who is a human being, who's a journalist, who's someone who writes about characters. I, I think I haven't seen a ton of stories. I mean, Marvel's is a very popular one, the old Marvel book that uh, I think Kirk Busiek did. And, uh, is it Kirk Busiek? Well, if I'm wrong, sorry, don't at me. But uh, (laughs) but I've read the book. It's a great book. uh, But then also, like, a little bit in Astro City every now and then. I feel like uh, that's another big creator and superhero book. But uh, long story short, we want to do a book that mirrored our reality a little bit in where superheroes are kind of commonplace. They've been established. And obviously, in the real world, we don't have people flying around, but... We are at an oversaturation point where people are like, oh, gosh, another Marvel movie, another DC thing. Like, every, it, It's very commonplace. And the thing that stood out to me is like, OK, well, why do we still care about this? Why do the like really super fans and passionate people want people to like this medium, like this genre? And I wanted to do a book that really explored that. And the best frame for it was having someone who makes their, their living writing about superheroes, who cares passionately and unironically about them. Uh, It was a huge, huge point for both me and Eris to make sure that we weren't trying to, like, I don't know, like make fun of anyone for like superheroes or or be mean-spirited about it, but be kind of genuine and and upbeat about it. And uh, basically, so we landed on a character who is one of the only people left writing about superheroes in the modern world. No one else really cares. And essentially, he uh, inherited the column from his father. His father basically was almost like a Jimmy Olsen type of this world. So it's like our little homage to... A golden age uh, in our world but uh, long story short our character noah noah sands writes about superheroes people are losing interest uh minor spoil spoiler for the first issue his column's about to get canceled and he needs to basically come up with the best story he can think of and lo and behold he manages to stumble into kind of a conspiracy that's unfolding with a murdered superhero and going from there he ends up teaming up with uh one of the superheroes of this world who's someone he looks up to and Uh, from there kind of unwinds and it's really interesting to me because two issues are out so far and the book really takes a turn around issue three I feel into getting away from the murder mystery and more into something else and and I'm really excited to have that unfold because one thing we we said up front a lot like the book is not Watchmen like I love Watchmen but Watchmen is a deconstruction I think trying to really put that thesis forward that like, hey, like superheroes are kind of messed up and just like us and human in both good and dark ways. Whereas our book is is not as deconstructive in that way. We are positing like, oh, these are real people, but we want to keep a lot of the aspirational elements, which is something I think that the genre clearly does well and, and people are into. But I think for some reason, creators are always – more interested and i don't say this as a pejorative but tearing down like what's there and being like oh like why do we like these garish do-gooders and we really wanted something that was the opposite of that and felt a little more celebratory and we're still jumping in and trying to to look like a little more analytically like hey you shouldn't just hero worship like what is the the meat there but we're coming at it i think from a little more of a good natured, excited place rather than like, Hey, superheroes are messed up people too. Don't you know? And, and, and I don't mean to sound so mocking with that. As I said, Watcher is one of my favorite books. I think something like the boys also does a wonderful job of deconstructing and showing like those sides. But uh, as I said, like I really was at a loss before this as I've worked in comics for about 10 years and uh, I've had the fortunate experience of working everywhere and doing a lot of my own stuff and I actually burnt out really hard and, and transitioned, thankfully, over to uh, to doing video games full time. And this is my first comic back. And I really thought, like, oh, what I want to do something that really means something to me. And that's why I was initially talking to Eris. I'm like, dude, I don't know if I can do a superhero book unless we find something to say. But I'm really happy we found this book. And, again, I've kind of had Eris as, like... The excited new guy with me who who brought a lot of energy to it and really is having a ball like getting his first book out and, and I'm very happy for him. And he's he's just so excited about everything. And I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I know how it goes. <laughs> but uh so he makes fun of me for being a grumpy old man about stuff. But but truly, like I said, it was it was a really nice organic process of working together and finding something that encompassed I think a lot of the thematic stuff I want to do, as that's where like my nerd brain had gone, like, okay, if we're gonna do a superhero book, it has to be xyz and, and i'm not trying to say this is like some kind of like brilliant smart thesis on superheroes but it, it had to have something at the core of it that wasn't just like oh look at the action figures punching each other and i i think we have so many great writers in our medium who are able to elevate even stuff at marvel and dc but there's also a tendency especially for newer writers it's something i really talked to Eris a ton about like hey like there's a moment of excitement when you start writing comics where people are just drawing what you're writing and you just want to do the fun parts, not the like more laborious parts. So I kind of forced him to really have a lot of nerdy high level talks with me before getting to anything fun. And and he was a champ. And, and I I think he sees though, that it really helped the work feel a little more organic, help it feel more meaningful as there are a million kind of like very surface takes on superiors out out there. And, uh, we really wanted to try to find something that at least had its own unique voice. So it was a very long answer about what the book is about, but, uh, it really, like I said, I, I want to write a book about a journalist in a world where superheroes have become commonplace who's trying to get people to find find the spark again and, and in doing so he kind of learns about himself and like where his love comes from and, and what it really means in twenty twenty one to to care about superheroes and why they resonate. Mm-hmm.
0: There's a lot to unpack from this. I like this. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> we, we are we are off to a good start, sir. I like this. All right. I want uh, I want to talk about working with Eris. Uh, how did the two of you meet? Uh, what um, What was it like working with someone who was so new to the comics world, or, or at least as a writer?
1: Yeah. So Eris, I had met way back in like 2012, and funny enough. Uh, I've done so many interviews with him now where he goes into the history of Varian and I'm like blanking. I I think Varian had only been around formally for a year or two uh, when I met him, but we actually met through a mutual friend. Uh, His brother-in-law, Ryan Conley runs the parent channel that Varian is on, uh, Triune, and also his own channel, Film Riot, which is a fantastic filmmaking YouTube page. And uh, Ryan had done some film work with one of my best friends and was like, Oh, Hey, my, my brother-in-law has a, a show on my channel. You should talk to him because I just broken into comics and Five Ghosts was out. And Eris ended up interviewing me about Five Ghosts at New York Comic Con, and we just hung out and became friends and just stayed in touch. Uh, I think I'd see him at shows. We just like, email back and forth, and uh, finally, it was actually a while back. This, this book took us a long time to to come to fruition. Like he had mentioned to me early on, like, oh, like one of my dreams is to is to do comics and. I before I broke into comics I was a teacher and uh, I still try to teach when I can at like guest lectures and things like that but uh I am very adamant about kind of showing people like the inroads like if they're willing to do the work because I I really do feel like comics is a, a very special medium that is still kind of accessible all things considered I know film just has so many like blockers like there's such a tough industry, then like you can, normally can't just make a film yourself. It'll cost so much money, especially if you like genre stuff and or, or nerdy things like I like that. No way in hell am I gonna make a like science fiction movie <laughs> with like things like that. But uh it's one of the things that brought me to comics initially as well as liking comics, but uh it's why I'm just very adamant about talking to people. And it's one of the industries where I feel like you don't have to necessarily know people to get in. Like I knew no one. I I built a community going to shows and things like that, but uh it, it is just one of my passions talk about comics about how to kind of transition in even if you haven't written anything so it was a little bit of like my pet project on the side in my brain like being like oh like yeah uh, eris is someone who cares passionately about this he has a giant youtube kind of fandom who i think would come in and support his work which is such a huge consideration as well because there's nothing worse than feeling like you have no platform uh so he already had that and again, greedily, I'm like, oh, well, that's awesome. That's a platform for me to be exposed to as well. But uh, really, he was adamant about doing superhero stuff. And I kept kind of putting it off because as I said, I I really did not want to do a superhero book. The only other creator on superhero thing I had done was uh, a book called Black Market at Boom Studios with uh, my co-creator and the artist, Victor Santos, who I absolutely adore. And it was four issues, but it was just a, a very kind of like dark take where it was, it was almost boys adjacent. And I don't think I had read the boys, uh, not necessarily in tone, but world where the superheroes were kind of jerks. And our main character finds out that there's a cure for everything in their blood, but they won't give it to anyone. So through a turn of bad events, he starts stealing superhero blood. And it's a, it's like pseudo breaking badass. But uh, it, it was a cool project. I was really glad to do it. But I felt like I had enough unique stuff going on. It wasn't just my bad Batman take or something like that. So I enjoyed doing that. And uh, I had always, like, on a Post-it note of just, like, ideas I had, had a, uh, like, superhero journalism story, question mark, like, just written for years. And uh, finally, when I started talking to Eris more seriously, I, I was living in Albany, so it must have been about four years ago. I was like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Do you have any ideas? And he ran me through some cool stuff, but it it felt too genre for me. And I was like, listen, I'll be real with you. Like, you have great ideas. That's exciting material, but I don't think it's unique enough take to honestly land a pitch right now. Like, if you were Brian Vaughn, yes, you could do any of those comics. But I, even myself, like, I don't think that there's anything kind of, hooky enough in that stuff and it kind of gave him that like soft marketing of comics like oh well again it's a very accessible field but if you're going to do something well worn you need to have a new take and uh from that we just had so many great conversations as i was just like hey like well well, what you do a youtube channel about superheroes where you talk about them every day and you are genuinely excited what do you actually like and we had a lot of really nice organic conversations and i i pitched back at him like hey like well one idea i always want to do was about a journalist uh, writing about superheroes and kind of getting involved. Why don't we kind of like merge these ideas a little bit and use that as a jump off? Especially considering his own background as as basically a, a U- YouTube host, but is a journalist in a way. Does a lot of, He actually writes all the stuff about his site himself as well. So he doesn't just he's not just a personality. He actually creates the content. So that hit a chord with him thankfully, and and from there we just really got talking. Did a lot of. Uh, I guess, pre-production and discussion. And and it's interesting for me because uh, co-writing is really fascinating as uh, comics is, comic scripts are not glamorous for the most part. Like everyone, again, I don't mean to like rag on Alan Moore, but like everyone loves to point to like Alan Moore scripts and Neil Gaiman scripts that are like huge, long, crazy documents. And like those are amazing for what they are, but those are not typically how stuff is made. Like comic scripts are instructions for an artist to draw they're not glamorous they're for an audience of one the artist and uh to that end when i approach co-writing and, and i've done it a few times now like the exciting and fun part of that is breaking the story for me and, and basically just almost how like uh screenwriters and, and tv writers will do like in a room so that's really how we approach it with eris like hey like i'm putting down the frame we're gonna do this as five issues like let's talk through like the big story, the themes, and then I'll start bullet pointing, like using my expertise of how to pace issues, like kind of throwing bullets down on the certain issues and, and built it out very organically from there to the point where it got like when someone actually physically has to transcribe that into panel breakdowns, like especially for me, cause I, I write full scripts. I'll write like panel one, panel two, panel three, but the artist will always make it better. Like I'm not a super visual writer who sees like, complex breakdowns in my head that i want an artist to just transcribe Uh, so it it was very organic and then we just again did uh dialogue passes together and worked through that and it it was a really just kind of fun experience for me it was really refreshing to have someone who was energetic who was excited about it and kind of helped me like get back into it as uh i've been working uh in video games the last four years extremely fortunate and it's a I mean, still writing, but a very different set of uh, kind of what I'm generating, and to do to go back and, and do comic scripts after. I think it's been four years completely, but a, but a while was refreshing and and fun to kind of do with another person. But uh, as I said, it it was really great to have Eris's enthusiasm, his creativity, and and for me, that's one of the things that I really try to push when talking to people about approaching writing that like oh like don't worry about the especially with comics like don't worry about the like physical writing part like you will get there and no one is gonna go in there and be like oh my gosh you spelled a word wrong in your script you idiot like you can't write a comic book and, and obviously you have to write dialogue but it it's not writing a novel and and I think that helps a lot of people get more into it which is nice if they're afraid of like oh having their prose like parsed very carefully or, or having to be poetic and uh I, d- I don't mean that in any kind of diminishing way, I mean that for anything, like it's about the idea, it's about that fun part of like building a story, et cetera, et cetera, and, and Harris really took to that, and, and I think had a great time, I think it shows in the work as well too, like we really were, were feeling it, so to speak, <laughs> we, we got what we were trying to do, and uh, I will just say too, we, uh, we managed to find uh, our artist, Ruri Coleman, we had a a different people planned initially who left for one reason or another. And it's always the most stressful part finding artistic collaborators. And I was so happy to just stumble on remember If someone suggested Ruri reach me, I, I think I just found his stuff on Twitter and sent him a blind email. And initially he couldn't do it. And I was like, Oh damn, we have to find another person. But then he came back and was still interested and he is uh, phenomenal and such a amazing creator. Uh, able to just do so much design work. He really made this world look lived in, made the superheroes look like superheroes that exist, not just like kind of bad parodies. And so much work he's done, I cannot give enough credit to. And also just one of the like sweetest people I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And uh, he has just been such a creative force here and I think did so much astounding work. I, I wish all five issues were out because I feel like as much as I love everyone, he gets better and better as it goes on. So we're hitting the like, the apex soon. In, in terms of, I think some of the cool artistic stuff he was doing in terms of layout and, and really getting a sense of uh, the pace of the book. But, uh, but yeah, that, that was really the long and short of it. And, and the other thing that we've been working on is uh, doing video content with variant, which has been cool for me as, as I said, I, I really like being as transparent as I can about this process, about making comics, about our take here. And well, I don't want to tell people how to engage with the work. Like, it's so easy to just kind of pass over a lot of things. And I wanted people to know, especially variant because uh, in, in as well, he's like, well, if I'm doing a book, like it has to be my best foot forward. Like I don't want my audience to think I'm just phoning something in or trying to do a cash grab. And the number one thing that's been so nice to me is being seeing one, how like respectful and excited the audience has been in, at variant the comic fans in the direct market and everywhere else I'm, I'm used to dealing with. So thank you guys for your support as well. But uh, this was a new sector for me a little bit. And I was very curious to see if they were going to be very skeptical or accepting. But they're just so excited for Ares. They love the book. And, and I'm so happy we made a book that feels like organic or authentic to them. Didn't feel like just some kind of cross-media like cash-in or things like that. As As we were so sensitive to that. We didn't want to look like we were just trying to to do something, to just get a book out. We were doing something we genuinely cared about.
0: Now I'm sure that Eris probably had like a billion and one questions for you (laughs) Uh, as someone who was like new to writing, working with someone who has been writing comics for many, many years. um, Did you get the chance to impart any kind of like lessons to him about like working in the comics industry?
1: I think for me it was really, and, and this is more just like my like, highfalutin writer stance about a lot of things. And and it's something that I think clicked with me when I started working at Marvel and DC. And it's that idea of just having like a deeper personal theme in your work even when you're writing IP because that's what will make the work stand out versus just feeling like you're playing with the toys, so to speak. Like, because there's too much work, especially at the big two where people finally get to write their favorite character and they'll just be like, oh, like I'm writing Captain America. He's just going to fight the Red Skull. And and again, this sounds like a pejorative, but it's not, but it'll just feel like Saturday morning cartoons. It'll feel very vapid. It'll feel very going through the motions and yeah, a blast to write and see. And you know what? Probably still enjoyable by a lot of people. But for me, I got very fortunate that the first thing I did at Marvel was a uh, Doctor Strange one-shot with a uh, fantastic artist named Marco Rudy who actually hand-painted the whole thing. It's one of my favorite things I've ever done. And uh, it was a 30-page annual for New Avengers. And uh, when I was pitching it, it was like the kind of thing where I, I, at that point, I had done enough work and I'm a huge, like, craft nerd. I love reading about writing. I love studying it and taking classes where I can and just keeping that engagement and trying to like, not just be better, but like be knowledgeable as I, I'm, I find it just fascinating. I find storytelling fascinating. I find structure fascinating. And uh, at that point, I had really kind of gotten in the space of like, Oh, like, like personal themes are really like, not just saying, Oh, this book is about crime. This book is about love. This book is about heroism. It's about getting kind of like a self insert where, it's something that you feel strongly about as the writer that like, I think a life of crime results in death, like bad example, but just a statement like that, that you feel in your core, that's not necessarily didactic or over the top, but something about the theme that resonates for you. And with that book, uh, I ended up doing uh, a story about Dr. Strange basically uh, gets called up to a, a tibetan monastery where he had once been where the monks have now like kind of been kind of uh fiddling around with technology it had become a little cyberpunk and they uh oh my god i'm forgetting my own story embarrassing but uh a, a young girl from the village below kind of got possessed by a demon and she was like a promising young student and they bring dr strange in to to take care of the possession and we get to do a flashback about Doctor Strange and establish him like learning like the lesson about kind of having hubris and and thinking that he's better than illness and he ends up at the end kind of like taking the demon inside of him and the monks are scared of him at the end of that and being like, oh he's like, oh he's actually kind of become something worse and this is what his greed has wrought to him. And and again it's not a tale for the ages, but uh it was a fun way to really kind of feel like, oh like I I did love research my dad has uh worked as a medical physicist his whole life so i like kind of talked to him a little bit and i i found a lot of personal ins to it and it ended up making such a better story for me that i kind of cared about trying to get a really like good like thematic moment at end and and again i've been reading a lot about this at the time like just trying to have a uh a good like kind of thematic revelation at the end of the story and and i feel like that was the first time i'd put it in such a commercial place and it really taught me like oh like if i approach my commercial work like this and, and treat it as something i really care about and something that i want to say something specific with the work ends up being so so much better if i were just to be like oh i don't know he's gonna shoot some fireballs at tormamu and we'll call it a day and uh and i also was like uh which i think a lot of writers who succeed at the big two did i i was reading new Avengers cause I, I was very fortunate to write into Jonathan Hickman's run and I love, love, love Jonathan Hickman stuff. And it was a huge honor to be like, cause I, I ended up then taking over Avengers world and kind of filling in one of the time skips he did his Avengers run. And I, I just have such fond memories of all that stuff. But, uh, and funny enough, I, I go back reading, I'm like, man, I was trying so hard to make this, guy. <laughs> but, uh, it was, a. Uh, it was cool to write into something I was a fan of as well and use elements from the bigger texture of what he was doing in Avengers. I think the stuff he was doing with strange was really cool. And and it just taught me a lot about being observant and finding the things I care about and something I'm really passionate about. That's, that's been part of my video game work as well, like is finding like good ins into IP and like telling stories that still matter within the confines of IP. And, and as I said, back to the question. So this is really what I imparted to Eris was like, hey, and like when you do get a chance to hopefully write characters to establish, don't forget that like it sounds egotistical, but it's about you. Like this is your time. You get to use this IP as basically a platform to say whatever you want to say. So you should say something you care about because I think it makes a big difference. And and again, not necessarily preaching, but something thematically you care about. Like what do you think about heroism? What do you think about uh, Again, a pressure. What do you think about villains? Like, just search for that kind of personal connection. And I, I think a lot of writers get scared to do that when they're writing within IP, and that's why I, I just really challenge people to think about like how they think about theme, how they think about kind of dramatic choice and things like that, because I think it always results in stronger work.
0: Definitely, definitely. I I really like that view of things because, like you said, you can't treat the characters as like toys to play with like okay i'm gonna write for the x-men they're gonna fight apocalypse or something yeah. you really got to put i think your own feelings and your own opinions your own your own kind of passion into the work otherwise it just comes off as oh this one-off that really doesn't go anywhere like oh yeah the x-men fight uh nimrod or they fight yeah. bastion or whoever again and it just doesn't count in the overall story it
1: and the thing, the the one criticism that I cannot stand more than anything is if people read something I've worked on and say that it feels generic or just like, Oh yeah, well that just burns me because that sh- means like I did not work hard enough to make it feel unique. And, and there are things that I've written that I'm like, Oh shit. Yeah. I, I have fallen into the genre trappings. I didn't work hard to make this kind of a unique story or find something they do. And, that's really teachable to me. I, I take that to heart and try to think about like, Hey, like what is, what is the unique take on this? That, and again, it's not always unique, but like, what is the personal take on it? That's at least important to me. And uh, I think that's why some, especially young writers get afraid because it's like, yes, you're not always going to say like a mind blowing, like expanding, <laughs> huge thematic revelation, but that's why I like the approach of making it personal. Something that you at least really care about. So if someone is to absorb the theme from your work, like, it's something you do fundamentally believe in versus just, oh, yeah, bad guys go to jail. Well.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, let's dive into the character of Noah Sands, who is like the main, the main uh, protagonist of the story. He's kind of like the lens through which we view everything. And I really love the depth of his character. Now, as someone who works in journalism... I've been in Noah, in Noah's opposition. Like he's brought it into his editor one day. He's like, oh, excited. Like, oh yeah, he loves my article. He loves my column. And he's told, Yeah, we're letting you go because um uh, circulation's down, this doesn't move move papers because superheroes are so like passe or just part of like the background these days. We're letting you go. And then he convinces his boss to give him, you know, one more chance. And he says, Okay, one month. If this doesn't work, you're done. And I like Noah's realism, too, because he's not just this bright-eyed, bushy-tailed hero lover. He knows that his dad is a legend. Like, like his father literally died covering the Cataclysm in the story, which was this huge, major event. And, and 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 this guy was, like, best friends with, like, all the heroes. He knew them all. And he's like, well, I'm just sort of, like, a, you know, pale reflection of dad. So, how did you go about crafting the character and what was the original version like as, as uh, compared to what we have
1: now? So uh, going back to kind of just like some of my views about like just general storytelling and, and character creation. One thing that I specifically like and find challenging in superhero stuff, which, which bled into Noah a bit is when you're making characters, like obviously you want to have some kind of, Weakness that they're going to overcome, some kind of flaw that they're going to work through in the story, and this is where we're writing can get very tricky. Because on the surface, when you're learning this, like you're going to be like, okay, like John is greedy, and at the end of our story, he's going to be generous. Like it's going to be this hard switch flip <laughs> and change him. It's like, well, no, it's not always like that. Like, but with superheroes, and I think kind of just more like, I don't want to say like positive focus material, but uh, I, I think. Maybe so, like because I, I think even Ted Lasso is like a good example of this, right? But like, where you find like a flaw in your character that isn't something as like cartoonish as like a seven deadly sin or or something like some kind of huge, huge problem, but a kind of like positive thing in their life that they're pushing too far, like that there is causing them to like kind of not process other parts of the world. Or uh, with superheroes, though, it, it really is like, oh, like I mean i'm trying to think of an example i did in a superhero book but but just take a positive element and push it too far to turn it into a negative so it's not like suddenly these people are villains like who need to fix their ways but just oh it's it's a personality plot something out of balance and uh with that we came to noah and i wanted to really as we said like we're as i said when we we're developing him not make him like just a transparent like caricature who has some kind of very clear flaw or a negative character. Like we didn't want to do a story about someone who's like burned out on superheroes and had to learn to love them again. Like I think there's a version of that story that could happen, but we want to do someone who really just saw the good in, in superheroes who, who does kind of put them on a pedestal, but wants to get everyone on board who was very enthusiastic, who was very valid and earnest. Like we didn't want him to see like seem clearly like, Oh yeah, this is a problem. Dude is is confused about the world. Like he loves these people because it, it it's causing him. But uh, make that negative. We wanted him to be very earnest and in, in, into what he's doing, and we really just wanted to push that. Like oh, like well, why would this be important to him? And, and having it be like a family legacy was hugely important for us. Especially, I love the idea we were able to tie into a world event that there was this like avengers level crazy incursion that happened in the world and everyone saw it and it it was extremely validated the superheroes did save everyone and i love working in that kind of i think very realistic thing of like yeah and everyone got over it like and moved on and to know that is like in a kind of very posy like almost like puppy dog way he's like that's insane to me like how are people still not talking about this how are or is this not a big deal? And I think there's something very earnest and idealistic, but not in a totally negative way about that. That he is really just saying, like, my father was dedicated to to kind of spreading these stories and, and really celebrating good in people. And I think that's the key of it, right? He sees that this the the key thing here is about being good. And uh, I will say personally, one of the drivers for this is through the story for me. And this is why I told Eris when we were first working on a superhero thing, like it genuinely offends me that people who are like engaging in like negative behavior, like truly like, I don't know, like abhorrent views or just like toxic views online or people who tend to embrace negative traits can go see superhero movies and not like want to rethink their lives a little bit they can be like, oh, it was awesome when Captain America fought those Nazis and then maybe go post-hate online somewhere. It's like, that's a huge disconnect for me. It's like, do you not fundamentally understand that the, like, thing here is about being good and being a hero? And and I feel like that's kind of what I brought to the character of, like, oh, he doesn't understand why why people don't get it and kind of takes it upon himself with his column right now to be the one who's going to show them the way. And obviously that blows up in his face. So the book really is about how like i think really him re-examining his love for superheroes which isn't broken or or bad but trying to look i think a little deeper and he's not quite there yet in the issues that are out uh as another journalist had asked like oh like his view seems a little superficial like is that some kind of commentary or blah blah blah? but as we said no, no no he he does have room to grow and i think isn't fully aware of his of that psyche below the uh below the water level and he's going to definitely learn more about himself as the story goes on. But, uh, but then also showing that one, he is a normal human is hugely important to me. I think it's, we have way too many superhero adjacent stories where like the main character immediately gets superpowers. Like I think one of the most relatable things is a person who is, I don't know, feels a little out of water in a world of super capable people. Most of us are not extreme prodigies or physical wonders. And I think we relate to the idea of like, Oh, we can, we can aspire, but like a lot of us are convinced we'll never get somewhere else. And and I think that is a really humanizing trait for him. And, and then also like having a family, having struggles and just like that constant, like uh, pressure of doing a career that isn't necessarily like, we paint him as kind of, he has a steady job, but it is still – he's he's not, like, killing it. So he has his wife and child who he's struggling to support. So, of course, when he gets the bad news, he's like, oh, God, I'm, I'm not going to come right out and tell them, like, I'm going to be fired if I don't do this. I'm going to kind of paint over it. And, and for that, like, yeah, is he ostensibly kind of lying to his wife at issue one? Yes. We're not trying to celebrate that. But showing, like, that's his flaw. Like, he's he's going to remain optimistic and and maybe tell a white lie to try to, like, keep his family – Site and, and and keep them kind of in a good headspace and i think that for me is is was something i was so adamant of us spending time with his family in the first issue the first issue is also 32 pages which i'm hugely adamant about a typical comic is 20 21 22 pages i feel like especially with creator-owned books like i want to spend time in the world as much as possible up front because I know it is so hard to get anyone's attention, so hard to introduce people to new things. And, uh, and again, I, I, I'm so glad like hearing you say that he feels well realized because I, I wanted to push so much of that stuff up front and give you some time to live with this character, see what he's about, see what his life's about, see, how he thinks about things. And, and typically, I don't love to do first person narration. But I feel like with this book, we have a little bit of it framed in that sense of it's almost like him writing an article. And I feel like that just connected really nicely. And, and we have obviously an excerpt from an article in the beginning. But then it kind of gets into this in between space where we still do the new style captions, but it is his inner monologue. And uh, that's been fun for me because I, I typically stay away from doing narration and uh i talked a lot with Harris about this like hey like i know you you've seen millions of comics Harris. like do you have a preference and he we really had like some great discussions about who does narration well when it works and how we can approach it because those are like little craft things you need to decide up front because you don't want to be jumping back and forth but uh but really with noah we wanted him to feel earnest we wanted him to feel real but also show lovingly that he has stuff he needs to figure out, but is, is correct in his kind of earnest love of superheroes. And and that is something we're not looking to take away from him or make light of or, or, or play as a joke. I feel like way too many uh, properties when they show like fans in their, <laughs> in, in their world, they're always kind of taking shots at them. And that just like sits so weird for me. Cause it's like, who is this like who are you trying to like please with this? Like I I don't want a world where people are like rolling their eyes at reading comics or, or superheroes, which a lot of times are hand in hand with the whole medium and again. Many times in my life I've been like comics are a medium, not a genre, blah blah blah, and, and had to give that discussion. But uh but really like channeling a lot of that as well and really kind of being uh, as corny as is, but being positive with it too. Like we're, we can still like look at some of these tropes and like, I'm sure maybe they'll feel funny. And like, that's why we love like having almost the wife kind of roll her eyes a little bit, like and the daughter being on board. And, uh, it, it really, it really was stuff that though, that I, I wanted to, to feel like, uh, fans would resonate with. Like it is, is not, Shocking to say that this book is hopefully for people who like superhero comics as well. So hopefully they'll see a lot of uh, little things we're able to homage and appeal to there. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I got to say, as someone who works in journalism, I felt very seen in Noah because like a lot of things that he was going through, the financial struggles, the endless work hours, the pressure of like, okay, if you can't wow us and move some papers, you're out of a job. I can definitely tell that there was a lot of thought that went into designing the character and giving him a lot of very, like, realistic traits. Like, you know, the very boyish enthusiasm for superheroes, coupled with the almost depression or sadness of realizing that as amazing as his father was, he will never approach that level. That sort of realization that that the thing that his father started, the column Astonishing Times that his father kicked off, is now going to die because he just couldn't carry that weight. Um, yeah. but I also want to ask you a bit about designing the superheroes too, because as you mentioned, there are tons and tons and tons and tons of superhero titles. How do you go about making characters when there are just so many different, uh, themes out there?
1: Uh, first of all, I so thank you so much. I'm so glad it does resonate with you because it, one other thing, I, I think I had said this before, like I was going to make a list, but then just kept going. But, uh, I am so, so thankful for all journalists who've covered my career, covered my work. And I know how thankless it can be like a lot of times, especially when you're writing about smaller creators or smaller titles and across the board, like I've just been able to do what I do because of the support of kind of about uh, so many different uh, journalists and outlets, uh, comic book retailers as well, taking a shot on my work and, this was also another way to really kind of get in there be like, Hey, like let's tell a story about normal people who hopefully will remind people of, of the struggle we do see. And and again, we didn't go quite as hard at that as quickly moving into a genre story, but there was definitely a huge intent there. And and I'm so glad to hear that uh, from a few people, but yourself include that it has resonated because it, it is something that I think a lot of people don't see unless they're looking for it. Just the move to digital, the fact that like, Hey, like, will there be a lot of mainstream newspapers in the next five years? Like, yeah, exactly. like, like think about that. And, uh, I think it's something that a lot of people don't necessarily engage with. And a lot of times comics are a print periodical, like in the direct market is print based. And there've been so many moves and, and us even doing this book at comiXology is, is part of that discussion too. But, uh, that all went into it. And really, again, I just can't be more thankful for the people who've covered my work. Uh, but, uh, beyond that, making our own superheroes in and, and this is <laughs> where i will not be shy to say like this was 110 eris and Ruri enthusiasm as i i don't have like in me like a deep want to like create my own kind of power sets and things like that like i think they're fascinating but i've become such like a nerdy writer in terms of just like oh, like, character want and need. Like, what is the lie (laughs) they're telling themselves? What is the flaw? But uh, Eris and Ruri, like, had so much excitement about creating characters for our our book. So I feel like we had this great merging of Eris and Ruri being, like, obsessed with the aesthetic, with the, like, powers and the costumes, and me being like, okay, but what is happening in the blah, 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 like, the the psyche? Like, how do we do this? And it really became a fun experience. And, uh, again, Eris had a ton of enthusiasm. I, I don't think he has... I don't think any of the characters in the book are any like crazy like legacy characters. I'm like, Oh, I thought this character when I was 12 or anything like that. Uh, but, uh, we, we really kind of started to, as we wanted to do, uh, not necessarily homages or kind of like anything tongue in cheek, but like clearly draw parallels between established superhero archetypes and, uh, it's not hard to see like when <laughs> when you looking at the work like uh Riri did a beautiful job of obviously making them our own and giving them their own styles but like with koken like he is very much a like dark vigilante batman rorschach archetype infinite is kind of our superhero archetype like we have gold rush who's clearly flash adjacent and that was very interesting to me because i wanted to do that to have kind of this shared language with people who read comics, they will bring stuff to that archetype and it will give them kind of an understanding. Uh, But one, I didn't want to just make it look like a bad version of these characters, like be so transparent. And again, Ruri did a beautiful job of making these unique uh, kind of great character designs that look lived in that carry, I think the spirit of a lot of those archetypes without being, Instantly being like, why does he look just like Batman or anything like that? And, uh, but uh, also just to allow us to kind of do some small subversions later in the story where uh, wherein if we were writing a comic and like straight up Superman and Batman were in it, there would immediately be things we could not do or explore. Just because, it, again, even though, as I said, I'm a writer who cares very much about getting my own themes and thoughts into the work but there's a hard line where you cross and suddenly it's not a superman story anymore suddenly it's like oh this is just your diatribe you're running and using a character that you're now completely losing and you'll just lose credibility at that point right like you're not i I think people are always finding great lines that they can push on that but one of the things i love about creator owned is we don't have that weight we have like some of the archetypal weight where people will recognize like elements of the character, but it allows us to then do whatever we want to service what we're trying to tell and not have someone be like Superman would never do that. Or Batman would never end up doing that. And that was really the fun freeing thing for me about looking at these archetypes. And again, another thing that got me so into the story the fact that we can really create everything to our own means and not have to worry about the weight of, of IP or characters. And, uh, being authentic to our own audience because we are kind of solving the maze as we're making it, which is great. And, and for me, that was what excited me. But as I said, uh, we, we have some videos on the characters that we've been doing with variant. Uh, and we get into the deep dive of going through making them. And and I feel like you can hear Arison Brewery, like speak a lot about aesthetics and like power sets. And then I'll be like, but actually this is what this character is about. And, uh, again, it was a really nice balance, but, uh, i'm perfectly candid where i don't know and in my late 30s my sad old man brain doesn't want to make my own superheroes anymore but then when i think about like oh but how can i make them commentary on on an existing superhero that's where i get excited and and as i said i I very much did not want to do a superhero story because so many times it's just like about the aesthetics or the trappings of that genre and that's why i'm so happy with how this book came together that I was able to kind of like find something to to say about the genre as well as kind of working within its confines.
0: Hmm. What do you think is sort of the message behind the series?
1: There is some stuff that I cannot truly say until it's over. But uh, as I said early on, like I really want to do like kind of that aspirational takeaway that like, Hey, like listen, we don't need to be caught up in the minutia of power sets, like aesthetics. We don't need to be caught up in, the, like, who can beat up who, like, this is supposed to be aspirational. It's about being a good person. It's about being, well, good is too morally blank. It's about, like, being a hero traditionally is about being better than you were, about rising to face challenges, sacrificing for other people. And I think a lot of those just key, almost preschool-level tenets have been so lost in modern society with the last few years, and and especially now in, in the pandemic as well, and, and seeing just the way... lot of people are treating each other like i wanted to do a book that very much looked at the avenue of like hey like the reason why we read about superheroes for all of society is i think fundamentally as human beings like we do want to be better we want to to work towards a future where there's balance where we're genuinely kind to each other and inspiring each other through good action and that's my very very high level like didactic pitch and, and i think somewhat of that has been lost in superhero stories and and i think there's so much value to deconstruction to kind of to darker takes to really like exploring like oh like what does the pressure of being a hero do to people but and honestly there's a little bit of that in our book but mainly i want it to be an aspirational thing and be like hey this is something worth being excited about and aspiring to and even if you're not going to suddenly grow wings and be able to fly, there's still plenty of things you can do to kind of be a better person, to inspire others, to to not contribute to the kind of, like, horrible things going on in the world. And, uh, again, it's not Shakespearean in scope, but it is something that I felt very passionate about and, and something that I feel like is missing from a lot of uh, modern modern kind of superhero stories. And, and I think in, in 2021, it is important to remember that, like, hey, there is a, a bit of, like, kind of childish wonder in superheroes. And, and as I said, childish in the sense of just like without judgment, without cynicism, like, and and that was something we really want to capture. And something that I'm glad we got even in the title, quite honestly, with Astonishing Times as telling this book was such a pain in the butt. And the big thing for me, I'm like, Eris, the title of the book has to be the name of his column. Like that is like, my brain just wants that to happen as that will be such beautiful parody. So we painted ourselves into this corner where we had an old name that like for SEO purposes, like we could not use that was also nice, but, uh, we had to abandon and we just didn't talk about it for a long time. And finally I actually went, uh, I live in Austin and Eris lives in Dallas and I drove to Dallas and we were like finishing writing some scripts and we said like a two hour, like think of like, okay, write Every title we can think of on the board. And two hours, I guess, doesn't sound that long, but we had thought about this a lot previously. And this was just basically like, we're in the hospital, we have to name the baby, like before we can leave. And uh he had an amazing fantasy poster in his office, and and we just started writing like, amazing <laughs> then noun. And uh I was like, Okay, well, we really should play into the newspaper. And then Astonishing came up. I'm like, Oh, that's like a very like 50s evocative comic booky word i love that but like what do we do after and finally we just settled on times i'm like oh well yes that sounds like a newspaper column obviously the new york times comes to mind or times is a very common uh newspaper word and it just it felt right to me thinking about in terms of the book because it does feel a little archaic and i love that because his father established the column like it was a little more gee whiz poppy sounding and uh then Dylan did the title dream in it. It looked beautiful in the logo. I'm like, okay, well, now I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> there were so many iterations of, Like I was like writing fake poems that we were gonna reference, like getting so lost in the weeds. I'm like I'm like, what if it's like a real weird artful name? And uh, to, th- that probably drove Eris crazy. I'm sorry, Eris, if you listen. To this. He knows. <laughs> he knows I apologize for being annoying to him, but
0: <laughs> But I think it's that uh, that uh, dedication really you know like you said like you spend like two hours just working on the title and, and and dude i am right there with you titles they suck they're yeah. so frustrating you'll spend like a, a couple hours working on one and then the next day in the middle of the night you'll be like hey wait this is a lot better yeah. and it's it, it's it's definitely a battle um
1: and especially now too right because everything is ostensibly taken it's just like oh, oh gosh yeah. like and then when you start like going into genre it's like okay well every superhero name is taken et cetera, et cetera. so to be honest I, I i'm just floored there wasn't another book called that so thankfully we managed to stake the claim there it if someone's listening to this and made a uh, superhero comic that was called astonishing time sorry we <laughs> grabbed that seo from you i guess but whoops yeah
0: oh well just back, you, you know what? Back to that old whiteboard. Back to that old planning session. <laughs> oh Bring some I, more. You'll, you'll,
1: I, let me tell, I, I do not want to go back. <laughs> no right. I'll bet. I'll bet. Uh, um, I'll gladly write another book, but think of another title. Not, uh, not my favorite.
0: I get you. I get you. Um, I want to also ask about. You, you know what? You mentioned this. Uh, you mentioned this earlier. That I was hoping to talk a little, a little more about it. You mentioned having kind of a burnout with comics. Um, I'm curious as to if you don't mind like what happened and then kind of how how astonishing times kind of drew you back in
1: so uh very simply i was fortunate enough to i guess i i formally broke into comics in 2013 and i say formally and that's when five ghosts came out march 2013 for about 5 years before then i had been just like grinding learning how to like make books like how to pitch books going to cons and really just spending most of my, my early twenties, like hugely ensconced in this, like trying to break in, learning how to be a comic book creator and, and also learning how to be a writer. Correct. Quite frankly, like I had, was an English teacher and, uh, I had like minored in, in writing, but really it wasn't until I took a screenwriting class in college that I feel like I started fundamentally understanding like how structure worked. And, and from there just began now a lifelong journey of studying everything I can about storytelling. Um, from a purely academic nerdy place but uh but uh so i broke in around 20 or not around i, I had done like a short story in dark horse presents previously a bunch of bad self-published comics uh <laughs> in many many pitches and five of this was the thing that broke through and i actually managed to quit my day job around six or seven months later and, and funny enough i actually worked at comiXology and that's how i knew some of the comiXology crew and, and i'm so thankful to be back with them and it's a fun like homecoming because i worked there for about two years uh but i left and went full time and from there uh anyone who works freelance knows just freelance in general is a hustle and an extreme effort to kind of just keep food on the table and keep your rent paid and when you're in a super niche medium where you kind of feast and famine and go through waves of popularity it just gets even more stressful and for i guess when did I start working games? I guess from 2018, but like around five, six years, like all I did was write comics. And as I said, I've had a very fortunate career where most of my comics were creator owned, meaning stuff I came up with at that like six point or like six year, uh, Mark, I was getting very frustrated of just because of the economics and business of basically having to launch a new title that I came up with every few months. And, I'll be really like having good ideas is hard and it was just turning into like, Oh, well, what genre do I want to try? What, what things do I want to do? And it was just becoming so much work for constantly diminishing returns as uh, the market had rescinded a little. I wasn't as like full of hype as I was anymore and really just generally stressing me out and, and not, it sounds like so self-centered but like the amount of stress and anger versus the amount of joy i was getting from it because i love storytelling i love making comics was just hugely out of whack and i was just complaining all the time being really bitter like trying to find work i had uh and thankfully still getting some gigs but like i i missed my chance kind of to go marvel exclusive i felt like i was kind of not in touch with any editors at at Marvel or DC and just very, very frustrated and frankly worried about what I was going to be doing in eight months. And I just kind of was like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm, I was going to go back and be a teacher quite honestly. I'm like, well, thank thank God I have my teaching degree. Like this is just too much. And we had moved uh, my partner and I had moved uh, to Georgia. I lived in New York city initially, which was just like, I still can't even believe that I lived in New York being a freelancer and it was, blows my mind. <laughs> I was not living crazy, but, uh, that was, was not great. And we had moved to Georgia and, and it was nice. Like, but like I was still just going to cons all the time and constantly hustling. And, and it, it really burned me out. Like I'm not shy about saying it. And I was fortunate enough to, uh, talk to a mutual friend who got me pursuing game writing and had started doing like, like, like looking how to, how to pursue that like meeting some people networking and was just so thankful that i was able to kind of sneak into a job uh an activision studio and uh i was still working on violent love at that time but it was just like a huge weight off my back to know that quite honestly i was gonna get paid every two weeks it had insurance like it any anyone who freelances full-time like just like truly like my heart goes out to you and like tip of the hat to you to being able to balance it as it, it and i know so many people who support a family in freelance as well like i can't even imagine i was just taking care of my own lazy butt and stressed out all the time uh and uh that's something i do tell people because everyone always asks like well when do you go full-time freelance i'm like well you'll never be ready for it it's gonna always be scary and crazy and you just hope it works out but uh but uh that really to just take a step back from that the thing that also like Annoyed me is it was affecting like my enjoyment of my own work. And again, I, I really love writing. I love the craft of it, but there was a very real stress of like, Oh, if this work does not get reviewed as well as it needs to, if it doesn't sell this many units, I'm not making upward mobility or movement in my career. And that stuff just breaks you like it is a bad headspace to be in. And, and that's what I was saying. Like there's stuff that I did that I was convinced was bad at the time simply because it hadn't performed at an astronomical level. And, I'm finally able to go back and be like, Oh, this was really cool. Like I was really trying here and things like that. And it, I was just in a very mentally unhealthy place in terms of work and was fortunate enough to, to manage to kind of like lateral into another industry, which is never fun or exciting uh, on its face. But, uh, but then I, I guess I was wrapping up violent love. I think I did a DC one shot with my dear friend, Steve Orlando, a, a real fun book that was a, looney tunes dc crossover it was a martian manhunter marvin the martian one shot and again that that i think really was because i co-wrote it with steve and he basically uh i was housing for my parents in in jersey at the time and he just came over and it was like the winter and we were just hanging out and talked it through and that was really fun for me and i think that might have been really when i like re-engaged with eris seriously it was like hey like let's talk about this like and, and i think i was just jazzed about the fun of of co-writing like that and and just keeping it, like, as more of a, like, back burner project, which uh, something to do, like, when I honestly wanted to do it. But then, as I said, as we started breaking the book and I got more to the, like, the thematic stuff I cared about and, and Eris being very kind of, like, exciting and positive about it, it really grew into something that I really cared about versus just, like, oh, another thing on the docket. And having those fresh eyes has been very helpful to me. I, I'm working on... few things now and i'm just so happy that i'm able to do it as approach them as if i was just writing these books because i care about them not because oh crap i need to have something out next week or i don't get paid and i I think again everyone who lives the hustle can feel that and i (laughs) respect the heck out of you for doing that but for me it was just not tenable
0: i get you and it's actually ironic because I had a similar experience where I was ready to quit journalism. I was like, I'm done with it. This sucks. I hate it. And then someone that I sort of helped shepherd into the field sort of reignited my my, uh, my uh, spark for it. And she eventually moved on into um, like PR and marketing. But our experiences together, that really kind of shot my interest way back up.
1: So it's. Right. Cause you have to talk about what you loved about it at one point. And it's like very like film romancy in a way of like, <laughs> Oh wait, no, I did love this thing. And this, but truly like, and, and again, you know, like when it is work, it is work. And when you work in creative spaces, like it has a way of, of bearing down on you. And and even some of my friends who are, are largely successful, I can tell when they feel like, Oh my gosh, like being a professional storyteller, like you got to always be telling stories and, and, and a lot of the time, just like, uh, I'm sure journalism is similar because, like, bands like can live on a record for a few, well, a few years in some cases, right? But like with with us, and and I feel like TV writers get this a lot as well. You just constantly have to be turning out work, and, and that constant turnaround doesn't let you kind of take those beats where you can look at your stuff and kind of be proud and be happy. It's just always okay. What's the next thing? I got to go, go, go. And and again, that there are times that can be really exciting and propulsive, but it does lead to a lot of this, like, Oh I'm tired. (laughs) Exactly.
0: No, no, you're right, though. Um, Especially in, like, journalism, you you can write an absolute banger of a story, and it's like, this is amazing, people love it, it gets all kinds of shares and retweets and so many views, and you may even get considered for an award. But it's like, a month later, it may as well not exist. No one cares. uh... It's totally Ugh. out of everyone's memory and you're on to, and you're almost like back to square one because like you got to almost like re impress everyone all over again. So I, I definitely see some parallels between our two respective industries. There's definitely a lot of like constantly sure, yeah. re, reignite people's passions with your work.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and constantly discovering, I, I know you probably, there are certain beats you can work, but like every assignment will be a little different and there's excitement in that. But then there's also the like, Oh, like, you're always having to learn and move forward and 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 that's at least like one thing that has kept me writing and one thing I love about comics is one I love collaborating with different people like there's a wheelhouse of people I will always try to work with because I enjoy the work but like you can write a script and six different people can draw it and it feels like six different comics and to me that's always exciting there's always a freshness of when you're uh, when you're working and seeing the pages come in is always the most fun part as a writer who can't draw but uh, <laughs> but uh, also just that challenging myself to try to work in new genres, to try to approach different things, to like learn what I can and, and, and really kind of pay attention. I'm, I'm sure with, with journalism too, every topic you get, you probably have to do some research, probably, right? Like just a little bit like research, but, uh, oh, yes. but, but, but keeping that like in a healthy space and, can, and as I said, I, I do a lot of reading about like teaching and about being creative. And I think that's that whole, like, almost like, it gets associated with being childlike, but just being curious is so important, and, and that is again something I feel like we get almost beaten out of us of like, oh, smart, educated people are not curious. We know what we're about, but no, like staying curious is so important to, us to staying excited and staying driven. So
0: exactly, exactly. You know, we've talked a bit about the perception of superheroes, about like you know the Golden Age and versus now. How do you think that's changed?
1: it is so, so interesting to me to, to look back and, uh, think about the fact that there was a world in my lifetime where there was no MCU film universe. There was no, like people wouldn't know who some of these characters are like other than like Superman or Spider-Man, but, but even like, uh, so I'm, I'm about to turn 37. So I feel like I got to see the whole breadth of things and, uh, heiress is just about the same age as me and we both grew up like seeing like the x-men cartoon the batman cartoon and the 90s when comics were kind of around before the whole market collapsed like it but it did have this weird insider like and in quotes like nerdy but in a bad way association with it for a long time and was considered just like niche stuff for one set of people and it's been astounding to me to see it hit in such a big way. Cause I do think, and, and this is again, not bringing it totally back to astonishing times, but like there are a lot of elements of kind of like Greek myth and like epic hero stories within the DNA of superheroes that I think never go out of style and just truly is something like our human brains like to latch onto this, I, I guess just this like, or idyllic portrayal of humanity. And again, these great conflict, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, it's been fascinating for me now to see us hit a point of almost what we reference in the book where there is like, kind of like, Oh gosh, another superhero thing. I think we are going to start seeing and have seen a few times, like people working hard to subvert this and feel like interestingly, film is always a little behind comics because we have something like the boys, right? Which, uh, isn't so old, but it's definitely much older than the TV show. But now the, uh, It's fascinating to me that we have enough churn in the film space that you can do referential stuff that feels interesting because people have this like uh, literacy of superhero stuff because it's been around for 20 years now. And to me, that's the most fascinating thing about the current state of it where, okay, I think we've gone through our our kind of like feast and famine where it's kind of been – Exposed, And I think now we're at almost the most exciting point where we have a lot of young people coming up. We have a lot of, thankfully, new voices coming into all spaces where kids grew up with, like, the MCU or things like that. And they don't want to just rehash it. They have things that they want to say or kind of new lenses, new genres even to process this. And that's what I'm really interested in. I'm interested in, like, seeing, like, okay, like, because even our take is a very optimistic, like, almost... (laughs) <laughs> I guess, like, 90s kid view of superhero stuff. I'm so curious like, oh, what does the, like, 2010 person's view of of superheroes look like when they get there? And uh, it is uh, it is definitely oversaturated, though I will say it is is crazy to me that we still have as much going on as we do. But I, as I said, I'm, I'm trying to stay positive and think, like, oh, well, now I think we're going to start finding the unique stuff that breaks through. Or just, like, scraping, like, the, like deep sets of comics for adaptation and getting some very cool adaptations as well. I think everyone realizes like, okay, well Marvel's at Disney DC is at Warner. Like what can we get? And I think we're seeing some really like cool and inspired takes on different books being adapted. And I am that nerd who's always like, go read the book. If you like the thing that's adapted from, cause the book will always be probably better. But, uh, but even looking at, like, Why the Last Man, right? That's been in development hell for so long, and finally the show just came out, which is crazy to me. Like, oh, these things don't go anywhere. Like, in terms of, like, they stay in the space and, and things find their time. And uh, I think that is one of the the cool benefits of comics being a proven medium in in other spaces. But, but also, like, I am also so glad to see stuff staying in print. Because even when I was a kid, I you couldn't, like, go get a collection of books. Like, you couldn't go get, like, oh, I wanted obscure trade of, like, Spider-Man comics from 1973. And now, like, between digital and print, like, you can find anything. And I think that's very cool for, like, archival purposes as well. And I think there are some some people and companies doing great work in the space of, like, digitizing very old comics or, like, doing restorative work. And uh, I think while things are super saturated, we also do benefit in that way. that Like, everything kind of gets put in the vault now, or uh, brought out of the vault now, which is cool.
0: Yeah, very true, actually. Like, I grew up uh, reading comics back in, I'm going to say, like, the late, like, probably the uh, the mid-90s is when I got started reading them. And I have, I think, likewise, seen that shift in the tone. Like, I think it was around mm-hmm. the early two thousands when like everything was like extreme and edgy and dark. (laughs) And we saw, I think that like, like that was when like spawn really like took off as a title. When like everyone was checking out the movie came out, of course, then everyone's checking out the comics. And I remember when like, um, I think Marvel did like extreme X-Men and I was like, this isn't very extreme. I mean, they're all, they're all wearing black. That's about as extreme as as it is really. But like there was that shift into creating the more anti-heroes, you know, Venom, the Punisher, um, etc. And then now, I think what we're seeing too is we're seeing that explosion of creativity where like, as you said, uh, creator owned titles are getting the chance to really shine through through sites like Comixology, other companies, and just it's become easier for folks to create their own thing and to actually have it go somewhere beyond like their circle of friends or the area where they grew up in. Like you're seeing folks coming out with um these titles and they're getting to go to comic cons all over the country, if not the world. And they're finding a very receptive audience for that. Yeah.
1: And that is the most exciting thing to me, the like kind of dropping of like gatekeeping in, in some spaces. Like I know so many creators who are just do very interesting, unique, stuff in tons of genres like so far removed from superheroes but are able as you said to go to conventions find an audience to put their work online to to engage actively in a web comic space and it it makes me so happy because again i love superhero stuff but the medium of comics only being associated in america with superheroes i think is one of the like worst things that could have happened for the industry. And cause you look again, you look at manga, you look at the French market, like basically everywhere that's not here and comics are treated is a lot more part of kind of everyday life for all ages, not just kids or superhero fans. And uh, I am really happy to see a lot more people in the space, like doing unique work and and finding kind of audiences and bringing lots of just people into like caring about art, caring about story. And, uh, I don't know, it's, it's refreshing to see, see that good rising from a super saturation, like you said, and, uh, and things I think will continue to get more accessible. We, you don't need to worry about the gatekeeping of someone who's going to print your books as stuff goes online as well, as there will always be the like, Oh, well, we only have X amount of money to print comics, but When everyone has their own website, has their own Tumblr, has their own space, like you can put whatever you want on that. And the fact that people are embracing kind of work that is not published through traditional publishers as valid work, I think is one of the most healthy thing for the arts and creativity. Just the fact that, oh, yeah, there's not just like, well, this doesn't have a Marvel logo on it. I can't treat it as a, quote, real comic. Like, I think that is a very antiquated look at things now and and i'm i'm really glad to see a generation coming up who is about the content not the publication or, or anything like that exactly exactly
0: i want to also touch on the the number of issues so this issue uh so uh this series is a five issue comic series how do you plan something like that out given the wide and vast world that you've created and also the story like what were you, uh, what would you say were some of the bigger challenges from like a story planning perspective
1: uh, that is something I talked to a lot with Eris, which talked about a lot with Eris as a as new writer, which is fascinating uh, because we talked through our like grandiose designs and everything we wanted to do. And he was like, wait, how much space do we have? And I'm like, ah, yes, welcome to comics. Uh, <laughs> and and for me really like that is more of the like kind of craft, uh, formal structural part of writing comics. I have been conditioned to know like, Hey, we're going to have 20 pages. We're going to do five out the bat. Like we're lucky to have five issues quite frankly. Like a lot of series are four issues now. uh, And I've done many and I know it's never enough space. And really I just tried to bring as much kind of intelligence and kind of experience to the approach in the planning of how much we have in every issue. And that's why I said, as we were talking through, I immediately started putting down the like, flag post of like okay this is gonna be the cliffhanger of issue one this is gonna be the cliffhanger issue two and, and basically building around those issues and also knowing that we wanted this to be a book where the issues felt discreet because uh there are a few different approaches like some books will read like just a graphic novel that happens to be broken into parts that came out at different times but knowing that our audience uh generally will be direct market and and fans at variant who like that monthly exploration. we want to build issues that felt like parts of the story every month that didn't feel like they were cutting at weird places that had cool cliffhangers and worked with that kind of monthly comics feel and, and that's something i try to be hyper aware of because it, it is something that's been trained into me from working in the direct market and why is it direct market i mean the the print monthly comic periodical uh, format where you need to be very cognizant of like oh you need to be giving people a reason to read your book every month like they will forget it exists if you're not doing big cliffhangers not doing like who covers not doing covering typically pretty good ground as uh as as people want things to move they don't want to read an issue where nothing happens and uh for me it's really looking at all that stuff and being inspired by it like i very much like to get inspired by form like i think it's not restrictive, it's it's inspiring and a lot of times. Sometimes uh, that was basically saying, like, listen, I know we have so, so much, but trust me, we can get it in there. And uh, I'm really happy with what we managed to get into this five-issue series because I think initially when we were talking, like, we were like, let's plot it for 12. like, And I'm like, never going to happen, but let's just do a thought exercise. But I think we managed to really uh, distill this part of the story into a nice five-issue chunk that feels like a beginning, middle, and end. Feels like a a part of this story but also gave us a universe that one we can go back into and uh definitely we leave in a place where there are definitely stories we could tell going forward but we really enjoyed building out a universe and especially with the heroes you're seeing in our book like we don't we're we're not telling the story of the cataclysm basically like that is something we are going to reference and show some of but this is not that story we've left that story open we have these characters who all have their own histories that we have plenty of space to jump back into if we want to and uh we've done uh, a lot of like building out their biographies despite not seeing anything in our book other than who they are now and referencing and for me that's fun because it creates that like universe space like everyone says they want a universe because that's the like sexy marketing term but uh i look at something like black hammer that jeff lemire has done over at uh dark horse which Again, our book is very far from Black Hammer, but it was a huge inspiration to me, seeing how well he did that and how he's managed to kind of spin out so many titles from that and keep everything... The titles will be wildly different, but they feel unified in the brand, and I think that's really a cool way to do it and shows that there's so much room to build these universes, and even something like Invincible. I was a huge fan of the Invincible comic, and uh, I think that it, it always felt organic which was cool and and felt like a universe i know kirkman did a few spinoffs here and there and uh i had never really tried to do something with that scope before and i was so glad to again have have eris and Ruri there to do it with me so it's not just all me grinding against a rock but uh that's what i think is exciting about this as clearly we want to do more we want to do other stories in this world we want to do spinoff books and things like that and uh we don't have anything we're ready to announce, but it is very much that plan. But also pragmatically, I wanted this to feel like a good volume of the story with beginning, middle, and end. That that got the theme across. That they end on an insane cliffhanger, and we'll be like, "See you in three years," uh, or yeah, anything like that. So, know. so the no, so the book will have a concrete ending moment, but uh, we are really also using it as a jump off for this bigger world as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I,
1: and, and, and as I said, it's, it, that stuff is fun to me. I, I really enjoy kind of being inspired by the form and working in its constraints.
0: I'm glad to hear that really. Um, <laughs> now you mentioned earlier that you are working on some new stuff uh, the, that, that, that's like astonishing times. is not just like the only thing you're doing. Can you give us any hints as to what is coming down the road for you?
1: I can say, uh, I have a project I've been putting together with, uh, Victor Santos, who, again, I worked on with black market and we did a, uh, 10-issue crime romance story called Blind and Love Together he uh, at Image Comics a few years back. Uh, he is one of my favorite artists in the world. I think he is beyond talented, and he, uh, he writes and draws his own stuff as well, so I love that he will slum it and let me write comics for him when I know he's capable of writing them himself. So uh, we have a project we've been working on for a long time that's in a kind of sci-fi fantasy setting, which is very new for, I think, both of us commercially, like... I mean, Victor's done so much work, I'm sure he's done something there. But for me, and and I'm really proud of that, and I've gotten a lot more into uh, into kind of uh, fantasy novels, which I kind of stayed away from in my youth, but now, like, I really like that space, and I want to do something that wasn't just a rehash of, of anything that I'd read, but uh, I was feeling very inspired, and that the project we're doing grew out of that. Hopefully, very, very soon, we're going to start talking about it. Uh, I've been slowly but surely talk about doing new projects and uh with my collaborator chris mooneyham who did five ghosts with me and we want to do more five ghosts as well and it's just been a huge whirlwind for both of us as five ghosts was the first book we did it is near and dear to both of our hearts i'm so glad that people still ask me about it i wish i could say like oh issue 19 coming out or i can't even remember where we ended issue 18 whatever it was we did end that book on a cliffhanger which is awful and i'm sorry as we will get back to it but uh we also have some new stuff that we might uh be doing soon as well and uh yeah nothing release date but uh no I, i feel very refreshed which is great and i have a few other things that i can't even talk about who's involved with at this point but uh over the next two years hopefully i'll be putting out a lot of comic books again and Not that I think anyone totally cares, but come from a much healthier space creatively for me as I haven't had to just do that sprint of like, oh, gosh, I need a new book in six months. Uh, Let's go with sci-fi and (laughs) go for that. So uh, it's been very refreshing creatively to me to kind of take my time and think about also like, oh, okay, like what what do I want to feel like a Frank Barberry book is at? this juncture like what do i think will be meaningful in the space because comics still is a very niche space and it is hard to stand out and for me like i i try to put that on myself be like oh like what is an actual interesting story and thankfully there's no shortage of of great artists out there who are just brilliant collaborators and and for me it's really like oh I, i want to do something that stands out something that i can look at and be like oh this book came out of wanting to explore this or do that so it's at least where my headspace is at. But uh can say uh, I have uh, – sorry, I'm, I'm running through NDA things in my brain right now. <laughs> but uh, I, I've i been working at uh, Airship Syndicate, which is a video game company here in Austin, helmed by uh, Joe Mataera, who was one of my favorite comic book artists, which is so weird to think of because he's just been my coworker for so long now. And uh, <laughs> we put out a game called Darksiders Genesis – last year that i wrote with joe that i'm super proud of uh it's in the dark Cyrus universe which he created and was super fun uh and we've been working on a league of legends game called ruin king a league of Legends story that uh has not been released yet i cannot talk about <laughs> release date on that but uh, i'm excited for that there are trailers online you can see it and things like that and uh that has been a lot of my time spent with these games but uh I am also excited to get some comic stuff out as well, too. And Astonishing times one and two out right now. And I, I feel like it, it's hard to kind of explain to some people, but if you have an Amazon prime account, you could actually read the issues for free on Amazon. So, uh, Amazon prime members are able to read that as part of their Amazon prime subscription, comiXology unlimited subscribers are able to read the book as part of their comiXology unlimited subscription, or you can also purchase the book on comiXology, uh, as well and uh, we will have a print edition out sometime next year as well. Uh I it breaks my heart personally when people wait for the print edition because I want them to read it now, but I totally understand. It will come can't say the exact release date right now, but it will be out in 2022 in print as well from Dark Horse Comics.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. I I am definitely getting a print copy of this thing because this has been an odd an, and like absolutely amazing title. And I definitely want it on my bookshelf when that time comes.
1: Well, we will make sure to make it look really, really nice for you. As I said, our our designer, Dylan Todd, I've worked with for a long, long time since Five Ghosts and has done just beautiful trade dressing for the book and like kind of chapter break stuff and things like that. And it will look great in a digital collection, but we're definitely eyeing doing some cool stuff for print as well.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Frank. Thank you so much for talking to me. I have been loving just diving into the world of Astonishing Times. And, folks, if you haven't already, I checked it out. Six bucks a month gets you access to thousands upon thousands of digital titles on Comixology, including Astonishing Times. Two issues out, three more to go. And, Frank, uh, where do folks go to learn more about you, check out your work, and just connect with you?
1: Uh, The place I tend to be most accessible and active on is Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Atlas Incognita. I wish it was my name and not that confusing name of my old self-publishing company, but it's A-T-L-A-S-I-N-C-O-G-N-A-T-A-N-I-T-A. see, I can't even. Made... Atlas Incognita, you find it. That's also my personal website. Uh, if you Google, like, Five Ghosts, typically you could find Five Ghosts, which is uh, a series I did that I really enjoyed. And uh, I have a pretty... I think decent like Amazon author list page that has a lot of my work if you're interested in reading more. And, uh, again, I, I just welcome anyone to check out my work. I, I really appreciate everyone who does. And, uh, we are slowly rolling out our content on Varian. And one thing like we really want to get out there is some more like kind of instructive, like, Oh, this is how we made this book. This is how you kind of put comics together material that is coming. It's just been so slow moving with, with COVID like, I was only able to go to Dallas once to, to film with Eris. And thankfully we did do a lot of documentary stuff. That's been airing, uh, about Sashing times, but we have a lot of stuff we still want to make and, and keep people engaged with. So you can uh, check that stuff out on, uh, variant Eris's channel, which is just, I think youtube.com backslash variant or variant comics, search variant YouTube show. You'll find it, man. I'm bad at plugging, but, uh, but no, uh, there's definitely already a few cute, cool things on there. You see there's a long, long roundtable, like a two-and-a-half roundtable with me, Eris, uh, the artist Ruri, uh, discussing a lot of the origins of the book. So if you're interested in anything I said here, like that's definitely a deep dive uh, as well.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Well, Frank... Once again, man, loving the conversation, loving the title, and you give me so many like new things to, to, to like check out, like Black Market, <laughs> Five Ghosts, the games, and everything else. So,
1: Oh, thank you so much. I'm I, glad, glad. <laughs> it, it resonates.
0: Of course, of course, and I'm sure that we'll be
1: talking very, very soon. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Hey, what's up? This is your
0: girl Molly McCoy, and you're listening to Citywide Blackout, your home for the best in
1: music, movies, and a whole lot more.
0: Okay, everyone, that brings this episode to a close. Big thanks to Frank for joining me. And I really hope you check out Astonishing Times, available exclusively through Comixology Originals. Six bucks a month gets you access to thousands upon thousands of digital titles, from the big two to the best indie creators. You can follow this show on Facebook under Citywide Blackout and Twitter and Instagram under Citywide Max. Listen to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to get at me, it's citywidemax at yahoo.com. As always, keep those ears open.